Do you love numbers? Then this episode is for you. Do you not realize that you love numbers? Then this episode is also for you. Welcome to Exploding Facts. I'm your host, Mia Twill. Today's episode is math. What is math? What is the origin of math? What is eight thirds divided by one and 10 elevenths? And the most important of all, why should you care about math and numbers? We'll get to all that. We've got a great episode for you, featuring an exclusive segment by Fun Factors and math experts, Benji Suswan and Mike Driscoll. And now on with the show. Hello, my name is Ruby Bressman, and I love math because each problem will have an answer. So to figure out that answer is so fun. Like five times five equals 25. It's so joyful to know that you used your mind to get that answer. Thanks for having me on this show. You'll never believe that I'm interviewing someone who learned fractions with my dad. Mike Driscoll is a seventh grade math teacher and Kung Fu aficionado. He's great, and we're so lucky to have him on the show. How many holes does a straw have? I think the answer to that is one. It has one hole, if I remember correctly. Why? There's one on each side. There are two openings, but I think the definition of a hole in topology has to do with how many um, cuts you can make, I think, if I remember correctly. How many holes does a balloon have? So let's see. A balloon. Does a balloon have no holes? I'm trying to remember. This is all this is all old stuff. You're starting right with the with the hard stuff. You're going straight to topology. What are some of the reasons why it's hard to teach math? What are some of the reasons why it's hard to teach math? Um well there are many, but I think The main reason that it's really hard to teach, and this is a great question because it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about right now. And so when the teachers are planning their lessons and interacting with students, then they have to do so many things at the same time. And so a really good teacher has to figure out a way to make it just hard enough for all the different students in the class And then they have to figure out how to get the students talking to one another in productive ways and sharing their ideas so that ultimately people like you who have math teachers are getting really excited about learning the math and and hopefully studying more and more of it. What's your favorite kind of math? What's my favorite kind of math? So that's a hard question, Um, but my favorite type of math is actually a kind of algebra, um, which is related to the algebra that you study in school, but it's sort of more abstract, bigger picture kind of stuff. I think you would really like it if you're already interested in topology. So I like abstract algebra and linear algebra. Um, what is what is linear algebra? What is linear algebra? Mm-hmm. It's the study of, so remember how earlier we were talking about how the way mathematicians think about math, they think about a particular area and then they kind of think, well, what are the, what are the mathematical objects that live in the particular place that I'm thinking about? So you were thinking about surfaces like straws and balloons and things. 
So those are the examples of mathematical objects. In linear algebra, the mathematical objects that you play around are vectors. We play around with, they're called vectors, and they live in a mathematical environment called a vector space. And vectors, you can think of them as directed line segments, directed um, arrows. And vectors are used in physics a lot to, uh, to model forces and things like that. But in abstract linear algebra, you can just think of them as, um, well, you think of them sort of like ordered pairs. Wow, that's really, that's really cool. It's fun. I might not be doing as good a job, to, a, a good a job describing it as I as I could be. It's a little bit easier with pencils and paper and things like that. Um, but that's one of my favorite areas is linear algebra. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about imaginary numbers. Oh yes. How do you describe imaginary numbers? Well, I think that imaginary numbers um, are sort of named in a way that it's too bad they called them imaginary numbers because imaginary numbers are really just the consequence of opening your mind up a little bit more about what's possible. So in algebra, a lot of the focus is on thinking about solutions to particular equations. If you want to know the number that when you square it, it gives you four, you can probably think of a number that does that. Two. Two is a real number. If you want to start thinking about a number that if you squared it, it gave you negative one, for example, then there aren't real numbers that do that job for you. And unfortunately, they decided to, the number that they invented to do that job, they decided to call it imaginary because it wasn't real. But imaginary numbers work the same way that real numbers do in the sense that their solutions to equations, for example, and you can still treat them as mathematical objects. And the really neat thing about imaginary and complex numbers is that their graphical interpretation is really neat because you can have numbers that are called complex, which have a real part and an imaginary part, and you can graph them in a, in a two-dimensional plane. Thank you so much, Mike. We're so lucky to have you on the show. Do, 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 do. Brandon tells us why he loves math. I love math because it really immersed you in how the universe works and what people discovered and thought and believed in back in those days. But it also um, gives you some ideas of what old civilization was like, which is pretty cool. And also just helps you function better with everyday life. I've been lucky enough to have a lot of great math teachers. My sixth grade math teacher, Lisa, and my fifth grade math teacher, Alex. But today, for a special segment on philosophy and math, we've got my fourth grade math teacher, Benji. Benji, how does philosophy relate to math and how do they affect each other? That is such a good question. Philosophy is the study of wisdom, the world around us. How do we know what is true, what is real? And math is a way to help us understand that. 
So if you want to know how hot is something, how big is it, how small is it, how does it compare to other things, we need numbers to start understanding the relationship between these things. So math helps us understand the world around us. If you want to know how hot is something, how big is it, how small is it, how does it relate to something else, you need numbers to help us understand these things. So the first question we have to ask ourselves, are numbers discovered or invented? Were there numbers before they were human beings? Did we just uncover something that already existed in the universe? Or didn't we invent numbers as a way to help us understand? This is a question that we still debate to, to today. If an alien came from outer space and did not know like what math was, how would you explain it? That's a really good question. I like to view math as a language that we use to describe the world around us. The same way that we would use the English language to describe, let's say, the sun. We use that letters. S-U-N, to name it, we would say it's hot and it's yellow and it's big and it's in the sky and all these ways we use language to help us understand what it is. We use math in the same way. So we can measure the temperature or the size of it or how fast it travels or really how fast we travel around it or the mass or the gravitational pull. All those things require numbers and math to determine what they are. And they help paint the picture of what this strange, big, glowing orb in the sky really is. So in that way, I would say math is similar to a language we would use, maybe a more universal language that everything has to follow. Benji, can you please explain to us what the Monty Hall problem is? Okay. So there was a very famous game show called the Monty Hall Show, and this has became famous in math. Here's how it worked. The contestant got to choose from three different doors in front of them. Only one of them had a prize behind it. And they, without knowing this going in, they figured out something very interesting. Let's just say the contestant going into it, he has a one out of three chance of figuring it out, of guessing where the prize is, right? Just one out of three, 33% chance. They say, I'm choosing door number one. Now, the game show has two doors, doors number two and three, that the person did not choose from. They know that one of those doors is not the answer. They open one of them and show him or her, whoever is on the game show, an empty door. Look, door number two is empty. Do you now want to change your answer to door number three, or do you want to stick with door number one? Now, many people first thought, well, it's 50-50 now. You went from one out of three to one out of two. So there's really no point of changing. You don't gain any advantage by changing. That's what people first thought. Does that make sense so far? Now you have either door number one or door number three. I'm going to stick with door number one. But they started to figure out that whenever people switched to door number three, their chances of winning was about 66% chance, two out of three, not 
50-50, one out of two. Now, here's how you get, have to think about it. Go, let's run this back to the beginning. You are the contestant on the show. You chose door number one. Right now, before I open door number two, I give you an option. Do you want to switch your vote to doors number two and three together? That would be a big advantage, right? You either pick two doors than just the one. Now, when you pick those two doors, you know one of them is not the prize, right? The prize is only behind one. So think about it like that, that you change your vote at that point to doors number two and three. So you went from one out of three to two out of three. So like you already knew that one of the doors didn't have. Exactly. All they did was show you, but door number two doesn't have a prize. They go, who cares? I still have two or three. All, all they did was show you which one it was. Exactly. So you kind of will think, well, now it's 50-50, but no, think about it, that you actually went to doors two and three together. Would you rather door one or two and three together? Even though you know one of those two out of three are not going to be the answer, it gives you a really big chance, or at least bigger than at the beginning. But this wasn't obvious to people at first. And this is interesting when you think tying this back to philosophy. Can we trust our intuition? If something makes sense, so it must be true. It's maybe self-evident or we see it that way. But math doesn't really work that way. And sometimes our brains can be fooled. And similar in philosophy, we want to get to the real bottom of it. Welcome to the series of math questions with math answers. Lila, who you may remember from our QSF episode, is going to be our interviewer. Solomon, who you may remember from our mustache episode, is going to be our interviewee. And now, without further ado, a series of math questions with math answers. Our first topic is converting percentages into decimals. Convert 20% into a decimal. Point two. Convert 41% into a decimal. 0.41. Our next topic is finding the greatest common factor. Three, two, one, go. What is the greatest common factor of 48, 16, and 64? It's 16. I'm honestly curious, where do you find the answers to these? Our next topic is multiplying fractions. Three, two, one, go. What is 10 eighths times six and four tenths? Six. Our next topic is dividing fractions. What is eight thirds divided by one and 10 elevenths? One and 25 60 thirds. 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 Why? One and 25. That's that just makes me One and 25 60. One and 25 60 thirds. Back, 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 back. 
Listeners, we arranged an interview with a Harvard PhD philosophy professor, Dr. Jeffrey Scatterbrains. This doctor, who has an impressive seven graduate degrees, was introduced to us by a previous guest, Professor Morris Meatliff McBarnacle, who you may remember from our fourth episode. Unfortunately, Professor McBarnacle is not a reliable source, and it turns out that the esteemed Dr. Scatterbrains may actually be a middle schooler whose only degree is a high degree of confidence. Let's jump to the interview. Uh, what is one plus one? After a very long expedition... Please tell me, what is one plus one? Um, to make a very, very long story short, one plus one equals x minus seven divided by the common factor of 15, which is but, pi. Um, but then what is the value of x? Pi. That doesn't make any sense, but okay, next question. What is the square root of pi? It's a very good question. Okay, thank you so much. Um, now, here's a philosophy question. How was math invented, Mr. S- uh, Professor Sc- Scatterbrains? Okay, so, so a long time ago, from my ancestors, cousins, friends, brothers, pigs, sheep's best friend, Sherry. She was just working the farm, you know what I mean? Like getting those good crops. And then there were these talking um, up, up to uh, octopuses. Yes, sorry. And they're, they're from space. And they were like, hey, yo, um, how's it going in Earth? And I'm, and I'm like, are you here? I think she just quiet. Basically, to put a long story in a nutshell, they I, she told them, I really love making, I really like taking a lemon and an apple together to make a nice smoothie. And the aliens asked her, hey, how, how many fruits are there now? And she thought about it. She did the research. She did the math. And she said, this is really incorrect, I beg you not, she said two. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, that took a while, so, um... uh, Oh my god! Oh my god! What? 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 It's a cute dog! (sighs) The most craziest thing in the world. Mia, you don't understand. You know the Civil War? The French Revolution? Yeah. I took 20, I have 20 degrees in philosophy, and I can tell you this, it was all started by one corgi. Hey, you know that I didn't actually only take philosophy and um, math. I took rap. Let me show you some very, very hardcore proof. Oh, wait, this is a podcast. Um, If you go on to, um, if you're going to, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you know my, yeah. You hacked. On to explodingfacts.com. And added your name in there in the middle. You really think I hacked? What type of low person do you think you are? Excuse me. I taught my children. Listen here taught my children 
how to dance. That's what I went to Harvard for. Forget about all the other things. I became a lawyer. I danced with the judge court. I got fired. Telling you the best decisions of my life. Now I'm a 28-year-old who plays Minecraft for a living. Well, thank you so much, Professor Jeffrey Scatterbrains. Bye. Looking forward for next time. Oh, no. That's it for this episode of Exploding Facts. Exploding Facts is made by me and is brought to you by us. Our music and theme song are composed and played by Build Buildings. Our new additions to the Thankful Jar are Benji Siswine, Mike Driscoll, Amitai Uluz, Ruby Bressman, and Brandon Cedar. Thanks to our producer, Ben Twill, and don't forget to check out the Thankful Jar on our website, explodingfacts.com, for everyone who's helped contribute to Exploding Facts so far. <laughs>